welcome back to the Yellow Box Podcast. This week, we're joined by our lead pastor, Dave Ferguson, as we begin a brand new series, Here to There. For more information, please visit us at www.communitychristian.org. And remember, you can always find us on Sundays at the Yellow Box at 9.30 a.m., 11.15 a.m., and 5 p.m. We hope to see you there. All right, good morning, everybody. How we doing? Ooh, good. Good energy. I like it, I like it, I like it. Um, I'll tell you what, I think all of us know what it's like to kind of be here in our lives and wish we were over there. I mean, there's probably some aspect, some dimension of your life where you're going like, man, I just feel kind of stuck in here, but, there's, I, but I know what it's, I can almost see it and kind of feel it. I wish I was over there. Um, for example, maybe, uh, maybe when it comes to being in great shape, right? You want to be over there, Right? And so like yesterday, I went in for a run on the prairie path, come home, take a shower, look in the mirror, and it looks more like I'm still here, <laughs> right? Or, or maybe in your, in your job, you have, you have big dreams, big career aspirations for being there, right? But it feels like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday is a lot more like you're still stuck here. Or um, maybe something we can all agree on, uh, all, our, all Chicago Cubs and White Sox fans, the Chicago Bears. We, we would love, once again, some of us actually remember this, some of us just like folklore, but we would, we would love to be there. Wouldn't we love to be there? But then we had the draft a couple weeks ago, and it feels like we're still stuck here, right? <laughs> what were they doing? I mean, it's just, I, this quarterback better, oh, man. Uh, I think this is kind of a consistent theme in our lives, in a variety of different ways, we're, we're kind of like, we're here, but man, I want to be over there. And, and I think one of the areas of our lives has to do with our resources, has to do with our finances. In, in many ways, we know what it's like. We know what it's like to be here, to have the pile of bills, a mountain of debt, to be worried. That's what it's like to be here. To be here, to, to, to feel like, you know, I can't afford the things that I really feel like at this point in my life I ought to be able to have and that I want, and there's a frustration. Or for some of us to even have some of the stuff and still not feel fulfilled. So we're here. And here, over here, is a place of being worried. Here is a place of frustration. Here is a place of being unfulfilled. And I think all of us are on the same page about that. Here is not where we want to be. And so here's the good news. The good news is this, that we have a God who says, you know what, I don't want you to be here either. In fact, what God wants to do is, God actually wants to do is, he wants you to help you move from here to there. Because over there, over there, and, and we kind of have a sense of it, over there is a place of security. Where you, you don't stress about finances anymore. Over there is a place of satisfaction where we no longer feel kind of this, this craving, this, this emptiness that I have to keep shoving more stuff in to kind of make me temporarily feel okay for a week or a year or so. And over there is a place of significance where, where our lives actually are, are, I mean, it's meaningful and, and it feels like we're having an impact. And I think for a lot of us in a lot of different areas, but this area in particular, the question is, okay, how do I get from here to over there? And I'll tell you what, if, if, if you'll allow me to do this, um, for... A number of years now, going back into my youth, I've been a follower of Jesus and tried to be a lover of God. And I'm telling you this, hear me on this. In every single area of your life, God wants good things for you. 
okay? God wants good things for you. He, he wants the best life for you. And, and what he does in his written word, which we just call, the Bible, we call it our truth source, he provides wisdom over and over again in every area about how you can go from here to there. And here's what we're gonna do for the next three weeks. What we're gonna do for the next three weeks is we're just gonna take a look at, okay, how, what, are the, what are the real kind of steps for how to get from here over to there? And here's what I'm gonna simply do, and then Ian's gonna do it as well in our teaching. We're simply gonna open up God's word. We're gonna take a look at what God's word has to say. It's our truth source, and you're gonna get exposed to that truth. And here's my prayer. My prayer is that you'll actually have the courage, the courage to trust him and apply it. Because I'm telling you, what we're gonna lay out, I am convinced it's absolutely true, but will you have the courage to actually trust it and apply it? And Because if you do, I'm telling you, you can move from here to there. You can move from here to there. Now, the first step to move from here, frustration, worry, anxiety, security, uh, significance, to move over there, I think comes in this verse here, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. Great stuff, okay? I mean, sometimes God's word is so practical, but it starts out this way, and I'm gonna give you the first part of it because I wanna kind of deal with some stuff. He says, command those who are rich in this present world, <laughs> all right? Command those who, I'm gonna just pause there for a second. I, wanna see, I want you a little participation. I want you to show hands. How many of you would go like, I uh, would say, yes, I am rich, I am rich. How many of you? Let's see a show of hands. How many are rich? We got one rich, two rich, three rich. Okay, we're not yet convinced yet, not yet convinced. Okay, so that's why I, th- I had a hunch that as soon as I threw that up there, kind of our reaction is like, I don't feel rich. How many are you with me? I don't feel rich. Come on, work with me. I don't feel rich, okay? I wanna validate, you don't feel rich. I don't feel rich, but what I'd like for you to do is do me a favor here. We're gonna, we're gonna do something. I think this is gonna be helpful. Take out your smartphone if you have a smartphone with you, okay? You got your phone with you. Go ahead and take your phone out. And of course, you can always log in at Facebook, tell people all over, the, all over the world that you're a community Christian. We'd love that. But in addition to that, what I want you to do is I want you to go to this website. Go to this website, globalrichlist.com. Just go ahead and do this. I think this will be a really helpful exercise. I found this fascinating website. Go to this, and what it'll do, it'll, ha- it'll allow us to quickly be able to see how rich, how poor we are compared to the rest of the world. All right, how rich or how poor we are compared to the rest of the world. So go ahead, if you're on there, globalrichlist.com, okay? Go ahead and select USA, because that's where you live. <laughs> All right, go ahead and select, that's where you live. That's, and put in your, if you don't know the exact number, your rough estimate of your net income, your net annual income. Just go ahead and punch that in there. I think you'll find this fascinating. Now, what I did is I went ahead and did this in advance, and I just took the median household income of $56,000 per year. Median household income of $56,000 a year. Now, if you look on the, on the website, punch in, show my results. And if you're following with me, go ahead and punch it in, show my results. And show my results. Okay, so if, for example, like in our case, my case, I put in this $56,000, the median income, it comes up, the next thing comes up, and it tells you that you're in the 0.23% of the world's wealthiest people in the world. Now, just to clarify, for those of us who maybe aren't so great at math, 0.23%, that does not say you're in the top 23%, okay? Which sounds like that'd be pretty good. Doesn't it? Well, I'm in the top quarter. That's, I mean, if I did that well in, you know, in high school, that would have been okay. No, we're not talking about, what it actually is here, what this is actually saying is you are in the top 1% of everybody on the planet, and not only in the top 1%, but if you make $56,000 a year, that's a median income, and you can do a plus or minus there, you are in the top one quarter of 1% of the wealthiest people in the whole world. Just give me a little nod if you're with me. Does that make sense mathematically? I'm not saying you buy it, but does it make sense mathematically? I'm not saying you're feeling rich yet, okay? Scroll down, though, a couple things. This is so fascinating to me, because if you keep scrolling down, it gives you a few other things. It says this. It says that in one hour, if you make $56,000 median income, you will make $29.17 um, 
an hour, while the average labor in Indonesia will make 39 cents an hour, just by comparison. If you want to keep playing the game, keep scrolling down a little further, it goes a little further, and it says, you can actually afford to buy a can of pop, okay, a Coke, by working one minute and 14 seconds. You work one minute and 14 seconds, you could buy a can of Coke. Actually, in Ghana, they have to work seven hours, 12 minutes, and nine seconds to buy that same can of Coke. Just to give us a little perspective. Keep scrolling down a little further. Gives you some interesting stats. If you are that median income of $56,000 a year, you actually make the equivalent of what 244 doctors in Kyrgyzstan make in a whole year. Does that make sense? I'm not asking you to say you feel rich. I'm just saying, does that make sense? Give me a little something, huh? Are you with me on that? Okay, everybody's tracking with me, okay? So if you understand that, I understand we feel like we're struggling financially, or maybe we actually are struggling financially, and we don't feel rich. But when it says rich in this passage, it's not talking about Oprah rich. It's not talking about Mark Zuckerberg rich, okay? Rich means pretty much everybody in this room. Pretty much everybody in the room. Now, it goes on, and I'm th- it goes on to tell us what we need to do. And, and, and you're gonna have to kind of give some assent and, and buy into this in order for you to really move from here to there. Because it goes on and says this, so command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth. Okay, this, this is such an important phrase. To, not to put their hope in wealth. Turn to someone next to you and say, hey, don't put your hope in wealth. Don't put your hope in wealth, okay? Very good. Good, good wisdom you're passing amongst you. We're going to come back to this in a second. Because that is uncertain, but instead, put your hope in God. God who richly provides everything for our enjoyment. Now, notice it tells us, if we fall into this category of rich... All right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make you do this with me, okay? And, who, and are you rich? I'm not saying you feel rich, but are you categorically, statistically rich in this world? Give me a little something there. There we go. Okay, well now we're starting to buy in, okay? It doesn't feel like it, but I guess I really am. If you are, here's what the Bible's telling us. If you're in that group, you will have a tendency to put your hope in money. I'm telling you, I get a chance to fly around the globe and be in different parts around the world. As Americans, I'm telling you, we are unique this way. We're like fish in water. We don't understand. We are swimming in wealth. And because of that, Paul's writing to his young apprentice, Timothy, he says, listen, if you are in that kind of a culture, you will have a tendency to put your hope in wealth. It may be unconscious. It may be conscious. It's just a reflex. And you're going to think, Paul's warning this, you're going to think that for you to move from here to there, from you to move from worry, anxiety, unfulfillment to a place over there of security, satisfaction, significance, you're gonna think what I really need is just more money. I just need more money. If I get more money, I'd feel that way. I'd experience that. And he says, we, we're gonna have, when we're in that kind of a culture, you're gonna feel that way. You're gonna misplace your hope. And see, we misplace our hope when, let me give you some examples. And see if this resonates with you. It does me. We misplace our hope when we hope money can buy us security. We misplace our hope when we hope that money's gonna buy us security. I mean, just think about how much time we spend worrying, thinking about what do I got in the bank? How am I doing my retirement account? Do I got enough money for the kid's college fund? Is it enough? And it's like if we finally reach that magical enough, which actually never happens, then I'm gonna feel secure. Then I'll feel secure. 
And, and, and here, here, I mean, part of the good news, we don't have to look too far back. Go, go back to 2008. 2008, when, when, when all the markets crashed, and many of us, right, we saw our investments, we saw our retirement accounts, we saw our home equity, we saw our source of income totally and suddenly disappear. And if our security is based on how much or money and wealth, I'm telling you, that's just a reminder only 10 years ago, none of us should feel secure if that's where we're putting our trust. It's a misplaced hope. And it's so hard, it's so hard for us not to put our hope in that because we're just swimming in this stuff. We also misplace our hope when we hope that money can bring satisfaction. All right? Now, if security has more to do with savings, satisfaction probably has to do more with spending. All right? We spend hoping that this stuff is going to make us feel better. And you know what? It does for a while, right? It does for a while. Um, I, I, got a, I got a car in the, in the parking lot, a, a 2005 Honda Civic that I drive. All right? My 2005 Honda, I remember when I bought it. I got a great deal on it. I'm driving this thing away. I thought it was awesome because it had a CD player and a sunroof. And I was like, so happening, right? Not to mention the cool spoiler on the back, which now looks very, very weird. Um, But now, like, I get in that car, and you can ask my family. I whine about that car all the time. I hate that car. I hate it. The air conditioning doesn't work. I'm going to be sweating on my drive on the way home. I, when I pull out, and some of you, and I'll wait till you all leave, because when I pull out, I just, I need to get the belt fixed, but it squeals, you know, you get one of those things, and then it finally stops. That's my car. I hate that car. It used to satisfy, because, wow, this is a cool car, you know, spoiler, air conditioning, CD player, sunroof. Now I hate it. It doesn't satisfy anymore. That's the way it is with all kinds of stuff. You guys know this guy? I don't know if you remember this picture. Let me show you a picture of this guy. Martin, um, how do you say his name? Martin Scarelli? You remember this guy? He's been in the news a lot the last couple of years. I'll tell you the story. You'll remember. He's the guy who led the pharmaceutical company to spike the cost of drugs from like 13 bucks to 750 bucks. Now you remember him? Remember that guy? And what did he do? You know what this is next to him? He, he made just a truckload of money thinking he was going to satisfy. And what is it? He goes out and he spends $2 million. You remember this story? It's $2 million on a CD produced by his favorite band if they would guarantee that they would only make one of them. And they did. They only made one CD. He bought it. There it is for $2 million. <laughs> and then he brags about it on Twitter. Now, I doubt any of us ever spent $2 million on a CD here. But I'm telling you, we go and try to find stuff anywhere from a Honda Civic to a $2 million CD, a lot of stuff in between. Saying, this is going to satisfy. It's going to make me feel good. But it's only going to for a little while. It's misplaced hope, I'm telling you. We also misplace our hope when we think money is going to bring significance do some reflection on this. It is so tempting because we swim in this stuff to see money as the scoreboard of how important you are. To see your income as kind of this dashboard of your self-worth, an indicator of your significance. How many zeros on my paycheck? Floyd Mayweather, the, the boxer, um, he, he had a big payday, and he posted this on Instagram. I don't know if you remember this. He posted, he posted this picture of Instagram of all the money he'd made from that, from that event. <laughs> he laid it all out there, and then on Instagram, he said, I am proud to be king. I doubt anybody here has ever kind of laid out, here's everything I got in my 401k on a coffee table and did a self-evaluation. But I think when we get those quarterly or monthly statements, what do we do then? What do we do then? Here's what I want you to do, okay? And it's gonna be so important. Ask yourself right now, ask yourself, are you tempted to misplace your hope in any of these things? To say, you know what, I think, I think it's gonna bring me security. 
I'm telling you, history tells us it doesn't. I think it's gonna bring me satisfaction. Our own lives, my car, (laughs) your car, it tells us it doesn't. Significance, it is not going to. It is just not going to. The truth is, okay, to get from here there, more money will not bring any of those things. To get here from here to there, it's gonna take something entirely, entirely different. And I want you to hear this. There is a God who loves you. There's a God who cares about you. And he does not want you to have to live here. He doesn't want you to have to live here. He wants you to not live here. He wants to take you there. And not live here, but of a place of worry, frustration, and unfulfillment, and to move to there, to a place of security and satisfaction, significance, says, do not put your hope in wealth, but put your hope in God. Put your hope in God. All right, so let's get very, very practical. How do we do that, right? How do we do that? How do I, because it's, it's a challenge on the day-to-day. How do we actually put our hope in God instead of money? Well, if we continue in 1 Timothy chapter six, it tells, here's how you go from here to there. It's, it goes on, let's go to the next one, next verse. It says this, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. And then we go on to the next verse in 18, and it says this. It says, command them to do good, be rich in good deeds, and to be generous, willing to share. All right, this is, gonna be, this is where you have to trust God. This is what's gonna take some courage here. The path that moves you from here, worry, frustration, and feeling unfulfilled to there, of security and satisfaction and significance. The path, okay, and I've experienced this, I'm telling you, I know this is to be true in my own life. This path, the path is generosity. The path is generosity. There are a few people that I've seen that are able to travel that path on their own and they experience the benefits of it. Most everybody else, and I don't know how those folks ever pulled it off, most all the rest of us normal folks, you need God to get you there. If the path is generosity, the vehicle, that's, that you need to get in the vehicle, you need to be in the vehicle called God, you need to get in the driver's, on the passenger side, let him do the driving. And it's gonna be a scary ride at times, but he'll take you there. He'll take you from here to there. Because this generosity, this is something here, this path, that's something that God wants for you. And it's not, he doesn't need anything. It's not something he wants from you. It's something he wants for you to help, help you go there. So if we really wanna go from here to there, where do we start? Here's where you, here's where you start. And, and I'm, I'm kind of speaking out of my own life experience based on what I understand the scriptures to say. I think the first step, okay, from here to there is you have to become like an initial giver. And I'll tell you what, I'm, this, this, this has nothing to do um, with, with, with the church and budget and anything that kind of stuff. This has everything to do with you. So you can give this to whatever cause that is furthering God's mission wherever you want. But I'm telling you, for your own sake, if you're gonna move from here to there, you gotta become an initial giver. That's, that's, the, that's the very first step. An initial giver means you give something back. It's not about having a lot of money, not about giving a lot of money. It's about you just going, okay, you know what? I gotta get in the game. I'm gonna become an initial giver. I'm gonna give to something that's furthering God's mission on the world. Let me, let me give you kind of real quick three kind of practical steps that, 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 that I would, if I was just from my own life, that I would say, here, here's, how you, here's how you become that initial giver. Here's the first thing. The first thing is this, you give first. 
In Proverbs 3, 9, it's the wisdom literature in the Old Testament. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth with the first fruits of all your harvest. Now, this is an, it's, he's speaking to an agricultural society, like a bunch of farmers. And the first part of the harvest was the most valuable part because that was the part you knew you were gonna have. You didn't know, you know the second and third part of the harvest. You, know, you might not get that because some of them might not grow. Some might get eaten by insects. You might not have a rain. But the first part you had in your hand, and he says, but here's, if you really wanna trust God, you give, him the, you give him the first part. If you want to go from here to there, you give him the first part. Now, I don't know, do we have, any, we have any farmers, any farmers here? Even one. Okay. Well, we got one. Okay. Anybody else? So, so here, if, you, if you're in agriculture, another? Okay, we got a couple. If you're in agriculture, you understand this. For the rest of us, the harvest is like our paycheck. And the temptation is to take care of my needs and my stuff, then God give the leftovers. But instead what you do is say, you know what, God, I'm gonna give you the very first part. So it's like you, almost like you pay God first. That's, that's one of the applications if you wanna go from here to there. The other thing, here's what you do too. You give first consistently, okay? Um, you need to have a plan about how you're gonna do this consistently. This is not kind of a, a one-time, one-time deal. You do it, and then you got it figured out. It's kind of like anything else in life. This is, just the, this is just the truth of anything else in life. I mean, like if you really wanna really get in shape, right? If you really wanna get in shape, you know, you don't go to the, you don't go to the gym, and you, you run a little bit, and you work out, and you go home and go like, la, yes, now I'm in shape, right? One time. I've tried it. It doesn't work, right? Wouldn't that be awesome if it did? You go one time, and now you're in shape for the rest of your life. No, it doesn't work that way. Same thing with this path to generosity, move from here to there. You gotta get a plan, you gotta work the plan, you do it consistently. Like if you're, you decide you're gonna eat, you're, I wanna be healthier, right? I wanna be healthier, so you go out and you get a salad for lunch. All right, now I'm healthy for the rest of my life. No, it doesn't work that way, right? I wish it did, but it doesn't. And the same thing with this. You gotta get a plan about how you give first, but how do I do it consistently? And again, I'm not talking about amounts. I'm just talking about get in the game. Just move that foot, okay? Here we go. Take that first step. Give something. Get a plan. Give consistently. Um, if you notice in First, in first Timothy 6, 18, it actually says this. It says, command them to do good and to be rich in good deeds and to be generous. It doesn't say do generous, like do it one time. It says, no, be. This is gonna be who you are from now on. You're gonna be generous. That's if you're an initial giver. Then thirdly, here's what I challenge you with this. Give first, give consistently. But I also, I'll tell you what, this, this is just speaking from me to you, from one person to another. I would encourage you to give in a trackable way. Give in a trackable way. Part, part of the reason um, it, that I like to give in a trackable way, well, there was really, really a couple things come to mind. One is... I like to know how much I give so I, when I go to my accountant, I can get a tax deduction for it. That's always kind of nice, right? Because then either I can keep more or I can give more away. But the second reason I like to give in a trackable way is I, I like to know how I'm doing from year to year to year to year and go like, hey, am I growing in my generosity? Am I giving a greater percentage this year or next year? I have like, and this is just kind of how I'm wired. Maybe you're not wired this way, but I got like specific goals for how much I want to give away over my lifetime. Because I want to become increasingly more generous. Because I've bought in. I have totally bought in that the path from here to there is generosity. And that's where I want to be. I want to be there. So here's the thing. If you want to move from here to there, there's three things. You give first. You give consistent. And you give in a trackable way. And I'm telling you this. Generosity is the vehicle I mean, generosity is the path, but God is the vehicle. 
I ran across um, a story that I think illustrates what we've been talking about. Any, um, this will kind of be a little bit of a curve here. Any Stephen King fans? Stephen King fans out there? You like this stuff? Okay, you don't normally think of Stephen King with timeless biblical truth, right? But he gave this commencement speech at Vassar College. And in so doing, it was actually not long after he was in a near-fatal car accident. And let me just read. Here, here, here's what he said to that group of college students. He said, a couple years ago, I found out what you can't take it with you means. I found out while I was lying in a ditch on the side of a country road covered with mud and blood with the tibia of my right leg poking out of the side of my jeans like a branch of a tree taken down in a thunderstorm. Now you know it's Stephen King, right? He said, I had a MasterCard in my wallet, but when you're lying in a ditch with broken glass in your hair, no one accepts MasterCard. We all know that life is ephemeral. I'm not sure what that means, but I'm sure it's a good word for a writer to use. He says, but on that particular day, and in the months that followed, I got a painful but extremely valuable look at life's simple backstage truths. We come in naked and broke. We may be dressed up when we go out, but we're just as broke. Warren Buffett, going out broke. Bill Gates, going out broke. Stephen King, broke. Not a crying dime. He goes on to tell these college students, he says, all the money you earn, all the stocks you buy, all the mutual funds you trade, all that is mostly smoke and mirrors. No matter how large your bank account, no matter how many credit cards you have, sooner or later things will begin to go wrong with the only three things that you really call your own, your body, your spirit, and your mind. So, I want you to consider making your life one long gift to others. And why not? All you have is on loan anyway. All that lasts is what you pass on. And we have the power to help, the power to change. Giving is a way of taking the focus off the money we make and putting it back where it belongs, on the lives we lead, the families we raise, and the communities that nurture us. A life of giving repays. It helps us remember that we may be going out broke, but right now we have the power to do great good for others and for ourselves. So I ask you, begin giving and continue as you begin. I think you'll find at the end that you got far more than you ever had and did far more good than you ever dreamed. I'm telling you people, this thing that God introduces to us called generosity is something he wants for you, not from you. And so Paul, kind of like I'm talking to you, Paul was teaching his young apprentice, Timothy, and he says to Timothy in, 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 in the next very verse, next verse, 19, he kind of sums it all up. He says, hey, listen, if you do this, you start taking these steps in this way, you'll lay up treasures for yourselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that, so that you may take hold of the life that is truly life. So that you can take hold of a life that is truly life. And that's what God wants for you. A life that's secure, a life that's satisfying, and a life that's significant. I'm telling you people, listen, he wants to take you from here to there. And, and the question is, will you trust him? Will you trust him? All right, let's pray. Father God, you are so good to us. You're such a good father that in every area of our lives, when it comes to our vocations, you, you wanna take us from here to there. When it comes to our relationships, you wanna take us from here to there. Even when it comes to this thing of our resources and how to handle finances and that kind of stuff, you want to take us from here to there. 
to leave us in a place where we feel secure in you, satisfied knowing you, and, and knowing that we've lived a significant life. Thank you for that. Lord, I ask for every person here that you give us the courage, just the courage to trust you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.